Many, many of you old-timers will remember in the mid-90s when we began to have some Bible studies up in Rustenburg. And then in the late 90s, Dan Crichton, we sent him, I guess early 2000s, to go and to plant the Central Baptist Church. And it's a real joy today to uh, be able to preach uh, in a building that for nearly a century was a religious building that never preached the gospel. And today, for the first time in almost a century, the gospel was preached there, and the gospel is going to be preached there for a long time to come. And people want to know why I'm a post mill. <laughs> Amen? The Lord is at work. It's a great joy, and Karabu and his church are very appreciative of Brackenhurst Baptist Church and our relationship with them all these, all these years. If you would join me in uh, Acts chapter 1, I want to preach. We had a series called Hidden Figures, which I think the elders landed that series while I was on sabbatical, but I am resurrecting it for one sermon tonight. And I want to speak on um, some very hidden figures from Acts chapter 1. These uh, hidden figures that we looked at were individuals who, um, biblical examples of those who were not prominent in Scripture, uh, yet they were used of God in a very vital way for the advancement of his kingdom. And um, some of those hidden figures are very obscure, but I seriously doubt that there are any more obscure figures uh, hidden figures in Scripture than these two brothers mentioned here in Acts chapter 1. In verse 23, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. These names only appear here in Scripture, and there is very little information concerning them. And yet, I do believe they serve as great examples for us as believers, as followers of Christ, and how God uses even those who are very, very hidden. I want to give you several things from this passage tonight in the short time that I have. And the first one is just the context of this situation. We won't reread these verses, but after 40 days of instruction to his disciples, Jesus Christ, after his resurrection, has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And there are now 11 disciples, 11 apostles, who are now waiting in Jerusalem in obedience to the Lord's command for the sending forth of the Holy Spirit. In many ways, Acts chapter 1 is a chapter of the church being incomplete. It's incomplete because of two reasons. One of those is the fact that the Spirit of God has not come yet, and so they don't have, in a, in a sense, the presence of Christ, because when the Spirit comes... Jesus identified that with him himself coming as well. But it's also incomplete because there's only 11 disciples and there needs to be 12 of them. You have these 11 disciples who are named and they are praying in an upper room with about 120 people. They are anticipating the kingdom of God and anticipating what it's going to look like. They're very perplexed. We know that from the opening verses of chapter 1. 
What they do know, though, is that Jesus Christ is risen, and so therefore that's enough to keep them submissively waiting for what the Lord has promised. And while this gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ are are together, Peter uh, assumes some leadership in verse 15. He stands up and he addresses an issue that needs to be addressed. And the issue is that Judas, of course, is no longer around. He's betrayed the Lord and uh, he has uh, actually hung himself. There's 11 disciples. And Peter reckons on two scriptures that must be fulfilled. One is fulfilled in verse 20. He quotes, first of all, Psalm 69, 28. May his camp become desolate. Let there be no one to dwell in it. Speaking of Judas in his death. But then the next verse, the next part of the verse, let another take his office. That's Psalm 109, verse 8. Peter, as the leader of the apostles, uh, re-entrusted with that responsibility in John chapter 21, realizes that they need to find a replacement for Judas. One thing that really struck me was the fact that these are very obscure scriptures, and yet Peter realized they needed to be fulfilled. That it may not have made a lot of sense to them, but he understood this scripture, Psalm 109 verse 8, must be fulfilled. Somebody must take Judas's place. And so leading um, this small congregation of 120 believers, he um, is going to lead the way for a new disciple to be appoint new apostle to be appointed. Now why? Why do they need a 12th? Well, first of all, they would need to share the load. The apostles have a huge job in front of them. They are to disciple the nations. And so, therefore, they need all the help they can get. In fact, just in a couple of weeks, there's going to be 3,000 people added to the church, and they're entrusted with the leadership. Secondly, and probably most significantly, the number 12 is very important in God's economy. There were 12 tribes that made up the nation of Israel. But now the New Covenant Church as Paul will write later on in Galatians 6.16, is the Israel of God. And so the Israel of God is going to need 12 leaders. In fact, if I can just read these verses to you because we're running short of time. In Revelation 21, listen to this. Speaking of the city of God, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Ephesians 2 speaks about the fact that the the apostles laid the foundation of the church. And I can assure you that when in the city of God, which is a picture of the church in Revelation 21, that the names, uh, the 12 names, did not include Judas Iscariot. It would have been this brother Matthias. And so in God's economy, there had to be 12. In fact, it's in Acts chapter 6 and verse 2, uh, we read about the 12 who make a decision. And so anyway, there needs to be a fulfillment of this. But who's going to fulfill this role it's going to take the place of Judas. 
Well, there is some particular criteria. We read about that in verses 21 to 23. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us witnesses to his resurrection. There were three things that somebody had to meet the qualifications in order to, three qualifications they had to meet to become an apostle. They had to be with Jesus from his baptism until his ascension. So from Mark chapter 1 through chapter 1 of Acts verse 6, they had to be with Jesus for those three, three and a half years. They had to also um, been witnesses of his resurrection. So they had to be with him at his baptism. They had to accompany him for three years, three plus years, and they had to be a witness of the resurrection. By the way, just keep this in mind, this is the only time in Scripture where an apostle is replaced. When the apostle James is killed in chapter 12, they don't replace him. There are no apostles around today, unless they're really, really old. Okay? Uh, But that's serious because the foundation has been laid. But those are the criteria. Criteria, they had to be witnesses of his resurrection. In fact, in chapter 4 and verse 33, after they have another prayer meeting, the apostles once again give great, there's great power in, as they give witness to the resurrection of Christ. Keep in mind that there's a hostile territory here. As they go into the synagogues, as they begin to preach in Jerusalem, there's going to be hostility to this message. There had to be these 12 men to say, hey, we know him. We were with him. We saw his sinless life. We saw him after his resurrection in his glory. They were credible witnesses of the resurrection. This criteria had to be met, and they realized that there are two, at least two that are named here, that indeed meet this criteria. Joseph, called Barsabas, and also Matthias. These two brothers are the only ones that are mentioned here that have met this criteria. And so what do they do? They then pray. They are praying in the upper room. They are of one accord, and they prayed in verse 24 and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen. Now, when you read, they prayed and said, You, Lord, who do you think they had in mind? Jesus. They're praying to Jesus. Because Jesus, who had appointed them, is the only one who has the right to appoint the next one, the replacement. And so they're praying, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. There's a choice made by the sovereign Lord. Show the one that you have chosen to take the place in this ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. 
We will finish this service tonight in plenty of time to go to the spa to buy a lottery ticket. But I do not suggest that. This text is not endorsing the lottery. But until the Spirit of God came, there was often a way that God would show his will. Way back in Genesis chapter 13, when Abraham and Lot um, were deciding on which way to choose, you have a lot there. Sorry. That was not intended, all right? When they divided up the inheritance in the land, they cast lots. Uh, We know from Proverbs 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole decision is of the Lord. In Proverbs 18, we're told that the lot settles quarrels. How they did the lots, we're not sure. It was something like drawing straws, and most think that what they did was they put stones in a bag, and there was one stone that was white. And as you would pull that out, then you were the one who were selected for whatever the issue was. In some way, they cast the lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, I was thinking about this, that when this choice was made, I'm wondering, first of all, how Barsabas felt. There might have been a sense where he was actually relieved, realizing this is going to be a lot of work. I don't think he pulled a Donald Trump and tried to challenge the election result. He accepted it. And he probably went went on and encouraged Matthias and kept serving the Lord in this body. But what about Matthias? He's numbered with the 11 apostles, and after verse 26, you never read about him again. There is this, what I would call, a conundrum of silence. You don't read about him again. In fact, in the book of Acts, you never read again about any apostle except for Peter, James, and John. There's a silence there. And if we're not careful, we could conclude one of two things. One of those is G. Campbell Morgan, a great Bible teacher who I think made a real blunder here, said that actually the disciples made a mistake, that they should not have sought to find someone to replace Judas because clearly the Apostle Paul himself later on says, I'm an apostle born out of due time. So they say that the church made a mistake here, that Peter made a mistake. I don't think Peter made a mistake. Peter was obeying Scripture. But the second thing that we could conclude is that this Matthias individual was one who was insignificant. And I would suggest to you that that is wrong. That just because we don't read about Matthias again, in one sense we never read about him again, does not mean that he was insignificant. In fact, in Revelation 21, his name's inscribed in the foundation stone of the church. And so therefore, he's numbered amongst the apostles, and therefore his ministry would have been significant. But I think that in many ways, this account here of Matthias can serve as a great encouragement 
to you and I that though in men's eyes we may not be prominent, in the world's eyes and even in the church's eyes we may not be prominent, we are significant members of the body of Christ. Again, I, I look forward to meeting Barsabas and probably finding out that when the election results came in, he said, praise God. He, made a, he might have said, phew. <laughs> but he probably said, praise God. He probably came along with Matthias and said, hey, brother, I'll be praying for you. I know this is not easy. But there's no indication that he caused any kind of a stir because he wasn't chosen. And Matthias, we never read about him again, but there's no doubt that he was important to the body of Christ. We do need to be careful about, re, about uh, interpreting the space between the words in Scripture, but I do think we have biblical precedent to make some suggestions here about those who are not prominent and yet how God uses them in a mighty way. Silence does not equal insignificance. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twelve, he said that the kingdom of God suffers violence. And he said this, the violent take it by force. And what he's saying there is something about sometimes there's an aggression that is needed. But sometimes those who are taking the kingdom by force are doing so a lot less aggressively and a lot more quietly. There is what many authors speak of a faithful presence. Matthias, no doubt, was one of those apostles, and he would have had a ministry, and we don't know what that ministry was, but we know it was vital to the building up of the body of Christ. It wasn't prominent like Peter. It wasn't prominent like James and John, but it was indeed significant. I think about, again, Dan Crichton. I sent Dan today some pictures of the synagogue today, and I just said, brother, your labor is not in vain. The fruit remains. I think it was 1999 when he first started to go there and started the church in the early 2000s. And very few people in this world know about Rustenburg, South Africa. And even fewer know about the Central Baptist Church. It might be a Matthias church, but it's significant. People have been converted. It was a real joy today to see people that were there from the beginning and who are still there serving the Lord. You don't have to be prominent to be faithful. You don't have to be prominent to be significant. You know, not all, um, you know, not all the, the great world-impacting churches are large. When we had that weekender, my, I was just blown away by these faithful brothers and realized that these churches, many of them very small, but all these churches being faithful with the gospel is going to have a huge impact upon this nation. A light to the nations. All the great preachers are not well known. And all the, the wise men have not written books. And all the great kingdom impacting Christians are not known. There's a lot of Matthiases that God has used throughout history. And what we have to simply do is learn to bloom where we are planted. We need to beware of the temptation that Jesus addressed of seeking to be first. 
He had to confront that tendency in his disciples on more than one occasion. And keep in mind, Matthias would have been with Jesus those three years. And so would have Barsabas. And they would have heard on two occasions when those, by the way, who became prominent were a bad example. Right? James and John, twice, twice within two chapters, are saying, hey, who's going to be the greatest? Matthias would have heard Jesus' response to that. So would have Barsabas. They would have seen the sinless Son of God, and they would have been witnesses of him in his glory, and they would have said, we don't want greatness, we just want him. Beware of the temptation seeking to be first. Jesus had to confront the tendency of the disciples, and no doubt Matthias learned well. We need to remember that the whole issue, the whole issue of the, the twelve is a matter of using our gifts and the whole being blessed. The twelve had to be formed. There was eleven. There had to be a whole. Somebody had to fill a hole, excuse the pun. Somebody had to fill that hole because the whole is important. I should spell that out. Someone had to fill the H-O-L-E because the W-H-O-L-E is important. Our gifts individually are a blessing from God. But God wants us to utilize those so that the whole is healthy. Each of us has a gift, and it may seem insignificant, but nothing is insignificant that God gives to his children. And finally, remember that this side of the grave is not the only place to receive our rewards. Again, in Revelation 21, 12 to 14, where we read the foundation stones engraved with the names of the 12 apostles, Matthias's name is there. We should learn to be grateful to serve the Lord with the gifts and the opportunities he provides and keep our eyes on Jesus Christ with whom we will spend eternity. That, brothers and sisters, is reward enough. And sometimes we can get so caught up in being offended because we weren't noticed for what we did. That's not a good place to be. God gives us gifts to help the whole body of Christ utilize those and wait for the day we hear from our Savior. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well, let's pray. Our Father, thank you for Matthias, thank you for our Barsabas. Thank you for, we don't know how many, there might have been a whole lot of people that were with you from your baptism, Jesus, through your ministry until the, the crucifixion and afterwards were witnesses of your resurrection. And yet, Lord, you chose 12. And you chose here Matthias to round it out. And Lord, we thank you for his example, a silent example of faithfulness. Help us, whatever gifts you've given to us, to use us for the building up of the body of Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.